With Halloween just around the corner, my family has plenty of tricks and treats planned. But thanks to Pampers, one thing I have never been afraid of is a leaky diaper. Fear no leaks with new and improved Pampers Swaddlers, now featuring a blowout barrier at the back waist that helps prevent up to 100% of leaks, even blowouts. We've always looked forward to getting the girls dressed up for Halloween when they were babies. And with Pampers, we knew that in addition to being absolutely adorable in their costumes, they would be dry, clean, and comfortable. With Swaddlers, you can rest assured that you have superior leak protection while keeping baby skin healthy. Pampers Breathe Free Liner wicks away wetness, allowing baby skin to breathe, while the lockaway channels help keep baby skin dry and healthy. Pampers Swaddlers are dermatologists approved by the Skin Health Alliance, hypoallergenic, and free of parabens and latex. Pamper Swaddlers are available in sizes newborn to size 8 and now feature designs with the newest animal characters, Shiloh the Elephant and Freddy the Duck. For trusted protection, trust Pampers, the number one pediatrician-recommended brand. Download the Pampers Club app today and earn Pampers cash. Redeem your Pampers cash for exclusive Pampers coupon savings and rewards. A little update on our March 27th live recording of Latina to Latina. You did it. You sold out our early bird tickets. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. There is still time to grab your regular tickets while they last. Again, the details. We are partnering with our friends at Poderistas to bring you a conversation with New York Times bestselling author Sochil Gonzalez. It is happening at the William Vale in Brooklyn on March 27th. You can find the link to purchase tickets on our Instagram page at Latina to Latina or online at Alicia Menendez XO. I cannot wait to see you. Claudia Forestieri started her career in Spanish language news, but she knew deep down that what she really wanted to do was write for television. What she did not know was the path it would take to get her there. Her journey required big leaps of faith, a lot of patience, and as she tells us, redefining her definition of success. The show she created, The Gordita Chronicles, is now streaming on HBO Max, and it is a reflection of Claudia's own experience as a young Dominican transplanted in Miami, but it's also a testament to preparation and staying the course even after you worry your moment has passed. Claudia, thank you for being here. Thank you for having me. I feel like I've been hanging out with you because I've been watching Gordita Chronicles. And so <laughs> I'm like, feel like we're childhood friends now. Oh, that's so sweet. <laughs> thank you. Gordita Chronicles, based in part, sort of inspired by parts of your life, but it's not a one-to-one translation. Yeah. So this whole show, our 10 episodes were co-created with me and Bridget Munoz-Libowitz, our freaking brilliant showrunner, and also eight other wonderful writers who also had experiences of their own that we mined for these episodes. So when I came to the United States, I actually came at seven. And then Cuckoo in Gordita is 12. And I made that change for, you know, a couple of reasons. One being that 12, you kind of have more agency in your life. And it makes for better watching because the stories are a little bit more grown up. And also for our fictional cuckoo, it was going to be even tougher because at 12, you know, you have your friends, you have your family, you're more established in your day to day life than at seven. When I came at seven, I just felt like totally kind of like powerless in a way. And also I feel like it felt more traumatic in the beginning. However, I overcame it faster because I was younger. Claudia, I want you to take me back 
to the fourth grade and the essay competition, that kind of changes your life. Yeah, so it was just presented as an assignment in class. My teacher, I believe her name was Miss Littman. She was wonderful. She had a Corvette and I'll never forget her. And she assigned us an essay. And the prompt was, I wish, write about a wish. And I wrote, I wish I were skinny. And I had no idea that the winning essay contest was going to be read out loud for the whole school. So I handed an essay on, let's say, a Tuesday. And on Friday, the um, principal, I believe her name was Dr. Dansky. I remember because she was a woman with a PhD. So I was like very impressed by her. And she starts reading this essay, I Wish I Were Skinny. And when she read the title, I'm like, oh, my God, I'm not the only one who has that wish. And then she keeps reading and reading. And then the essay just talked about my parents telling me they wish I would lose weight, doctors, me getting bullied. And at the moment, I was also in ballet class and they had told me that I could never dance on point if I wouldn't lose weight because I could break my toes. So that was my biggest wish at nine years old. And I was mortified. But at the same time, it was really cool to hear the words I had written broadcast for the whole school to hear. And everybody's like looking at me and I was like mortified, but also gratified because I'm hearing what I wrote and I had put a lot of work into the essay. And then that day, something kind of magical happened. So my teachers, my friends, even a couple of the kids that used to bully me, everybody was a lot nicer to me because I had kind of shown myself to be vulnerable. So I learned at a very young age how gratifying it could be to just hear your own words and tell your own story and how you think that by revealing your weakness, people are going to look down on you. But it was kind of the opposite. So that was kind of like my first taste. And that's when I got hooked on writing. When my babies were going through their exploration stage, I had so much to worry about. Falling over, bumping heads. What did she just put in her mouth? The list was endless. But when they were in pamper swaddlers, I knew I never had to worry about a leaky diaper. Swathers are great for both baby and mommy. They keep your baby's skin healthy and dry with Pampers Breathe-Free Liner, which wicks away wetness, allowing your baby's skin to breathe. Swathers have always given me peace of mind knowing that diaper rash and leaky diapers were not in our future. There's also the blowout barrier at the back waist to help prevent up to 100% of leaks, even blowouts. Pampers Swathers are dermatologist approved by the Skin Health Alliance, hypoallergenic and free of parabens and latex. Your baby deserves that. And they're available in a wide range of sizes from newborn to size eight. And now feature designs with the newest animal characters, Shiloh the Elephant and Freddy the Duck. Having a diaper you can depend on is important. And it's why I have always loved Pampers, the number one pediatrician recommended brand. Download the Pampers Club app today to start earning rewards with every diapers and wipes purchase. Not to mention, get great parenting content with Pampers Club. Hey, Red, what are you up to? Just making sure all the M&M's gifts are wrapped and the balls filled. Remember that one holiday party when we had no M&M's? Oh, boy, I still have nightmares. The cookies? Yeah, you used all the M&M's candies that were meant to decorate the party treats to decorate snowmen. You did it again, didn't you? <laughs> they do look cute, though. Bringing cheer. M&M's for all fun kind. Hi, Latina to Latina listeners. It's Brenda from Tamarindo Podcast. And if you love Latina to Latina, then we know that you're going to love Tamarindo Podcast. 
And if you're in the LA area and can't make it to the Latina to Latina live event, we'd like to invite you to our event on March 28th at 6.30 p.m. We're hosting Amigas Blossoming, a night of celebrating and cultivating blossoming friendships. This will be in Highland Park and all the details to RSVP for free are at tamarindopodcast.com forward slash events. Hooked on writing, hooked on the power of your voice, but that doesn't immediately translate to entertainment or to writing fiction. In fact, it takes you down a path that will be familiar to a lot of people, myself included, which is that you use the power of your voice and the power of st- storytelling in the service of news and information. What was leading you there? Well, I was always nosy as a little kid. <laughs> I, I like to say part of the reason that I held on to my Spanish. It wasn't only because my my parents said that in, at home we always had to speak Spanish. And we were growing, I had the privilege of growing up in Miami where it's a very, very bilingual city. But the real reason is I wanted to know all the cheese You know, I wanted to know what my mom was talking about, like when she was calling Santo Domingo and like lowering her voice, which is always a telltale sign that somebody's saying something you're not supposed to be listening to. So I always had that kind of like, you know, yearning for el tiki tiki. I always did really well in English classes um, with the creative writing, but it was, you know, 80s and 90s. I had no idea how to break into TV. I'm in Florida, like 3,000 miles away from Hollywood. The only role model that I had that kind of showed me a path to how I could maybe get into like movies and storytelling and TV shows was Oprah Winfrey. So I adored Oprah. And when it came time to choose a major at the University of Florida, go Gators, I chose broadcast news. And I figured, well, you know, Oprah started out in news and look at her now. I'm going to, you know, go down that route. I started working for like a local local ABC affiliate um, as a camera person and editor on the weekends while I was going to school Monday through Friday. Then I got my big break working for Telemundo when I graduated from college and I worked at Channel 51, Noticiero 51, um, in Miami. No, but I want you to say it in the Telemundo voice. Noticieros. <laughs> <laughs> Reportando en vivo desde Los Angeles, Claudia Forestieri para Noticiero 51. Um, <laughs> so, you know, I graduate from college. I go to Miami. I get a job at Channel 51. But it was behind the scenes. It was not reporting because you had to be have a lot of years of experience to be a reporter. But then I find out. So the Miami Telemundo affiliate was, you know, Miami is a huge Spanish language news market. And um, the Telemundo affiliate was one of like the biggest and most important in the whole country. So I realized, well, if I want to get my big break, it's going to be really hard to get my big break here. I'm probably going to have to go to another Telemundo station. I find out there's um, an opening in the Telemundo Bay Area station. So I send my tape, send my resume. I don't hear anything. I don't know where I got this idea or where I got the balls to do this. But I was like, okay, I'm going to need somebody to recommend me. I'm going to go to the general manager of the station that's currently employing me and ask the general manager. His name was Jose Cancela. And I I made an appointment with the secretary and I'm like, Mr. Cancela, I want to be a reporter. And there's an opening in the Bay Area and I want you to recommend me, (laughs) which is crazy. But the funny thing is, actually, it worked. So it was a big coup for me being gordita to get a job as a TV reporter in Spanish language TV news, especially because I would say about half of the female newscasters 
are literally beauty queens from Latin America. <laughs> you know, like I've worked alongside like Miss Nicaragua, Miss Venezuela, like Miss Guanajuato. Like I was ecstatic, but I got the job. And then that started kind of a 12 year career at Telemundo where I worked at Telemundo Miami, Telemundo um, El Área de la Bahía, Telemundo Chicago, Telemundo Los Angeles. And this time though, behind the scenes as a producer, because I was tired of dieting and blow drying my hair. But you low-key during this career in news know somewhere in your heart that what you actually want to do is write for television. Yes, that's always what I wanted to do. I just didn't know a path towards it. I was in Chicago once September 11th. And that was a really crazy time. Uh, I was working for Buenos Dias Chicago and the newscast got canceled. My sister, you know, everybody was very scared. And my sister's like, come home to Miami, like just take a break. So I went to Miami. I took a break. I still had the dream of writing for TV, but I was like, oh, I'm going to be close to family now. So fast forward to 2008. um, I have a boyfriend and me and him want to be TV writers but we don't know how to break in. So that year, and I believe this is the only year that it ever happened, Alex Nogales from the National Hispanic Media Coalition did like a little tour of cities with big Latino populations. So he came to Miami to recruit people to apply for their Latino writers program. And um, he talked about the need for Latino writers, how he started talking about how you break in. And I was like, it was like, you know, if Jesus had descended from I was about to say fairy godmother, but yes, Jesus works too. <laughs> and I was like, oh my God, wait, this is my way in. And by then I was like 34, 35. And I was like, oh, can I really do this? We didn't get in. But by then it was too late because I was already like, I had seen the light. And I'm like, I see a path and they need Latinos. This man came from California to tell me in Miami, we need Latino writers. And that's what I want to do. So I wanted to move to LA. The guy I was dating was like, nope. And I was like, see ya. But it was it was a hard moment because I knew my mom was going to be really upset because I'm leaving Miami again. And I was this time I was 35. I remember my aunt was helping me pack and I'm like giving away some things and, you know, I had, you know, some nice dishes. I had a fiesta dishes that my mom had given me really beautiful and colorful. <laughs> And I'm giving them to my aunt. I'm like, here. And she's like, you're going to give me your beautiful plates? I'm like, yes, take them. And then she's like wrapping and she's like, well, I hope this move is worth it. And I was like, I almost wanted to start crying. I'm like, what if it's not? I'm giving away all my things, all my furniture. And then I get to L.A. And I thought, I mean, okay, it wasn't that I thought they were giving away TV writing jobs at LAX. But <laughs> I had no idea. And you end up in a catering job. I Yes. Actually, before catering was a step up from the first job I had to do, which was working as a background actor. Because background acting paid you minimum wage. And catering paid like $15 an hour. So I was very lucky to get that catering job. And um, that was actually a fun job. But I was like, wow. I, you know, I used to be a TV reporter. And now I'm doing catering, but I'm like, hey, at least I had to change my perception of success, which was, you know, I had I thought success would be landing that TV job. So um, I had to change my mind. And I'm like, OK, I'm going to define success as being able to pay the rent every month and being able to stay in L.A. so I can have access to writing classes 
the WGA library where I often went to research scripts. I remember going to a seminar when I, that first summer that I was here, summer of 2009, and they said it takes a seven to 10 years to break in because you need to get the level of your writing. You have to be writing like a professional TV writer in order to break in. When I heard that, I'm like, okay, yeah, but that's for the average person, not for me. I worked for Telemundo. I mean, come on. It's going to take me half. It took me nine years. Nine years. I just want to sit with that for a second because I think that there are a lot of our listeners who want to pivot from a thing that they are doing that maybe they do or don't love to something else that they want to do. And I just want to honor what it is I am hearing from you because we hear about a lot of overnight successes. I mean, the fact that you stuck with it for nine years searching for those little signs of like, I am being affirmed. Here's a small opportunity that's opening up. I think that is a lot closer to the path that most of us are on than I hopped off the plane at LAX with a dream of Cardigan. (laughs) Yeah. One thing I had to learn to fall in love with the journey of becoming a writer and not fixate so much on the end goal. So it had to be just the fact that like I can take a class at Script Anatomy and be able to pay for it and be able to pay my rent and put gas in the car. That had to be a victory. Um, Meeting a new writer or joining a new writer's group. There was a point that I was in three different writing groups. And at the end of the day, even now as a writer, most of what you do is you're in writing is rewriting. You're rewriting, you're honing, you're polishing, you're revising. That's what the job is. So all those nine years I was preparing for the job that I wanted. We're all always given this advice, write what you know, write what you know, write what you know. Well, that can go in a lot of different directions for a lot of different people. You could have written a show about being a TV reporter. You could have written a show about being a background actress. And you get a piece of advice that I think is really critical, which is think of your life in five-year windows. When you go through that exercise of all of a sudden chunking your life out into five years, what becomes clear to you? Yeah, Carol Kirshner gave me that very valuable piece of advice. So zero to five, I didn't remember anything. But then when I did six to 10, I was like, oh yeah, seven years old, my life turns upside down. I go from being kind of like, I guess part of the high class, right? In Puerto Rico, we had like a live-in housekeeper slash nanny who like took care of me all the time, went to like one of the best private schools. My dad worked for an airline. We could fly wherever we wanted, first class. And then we come to Miami and all of a sudden I'm being called fat. So I'm being made fun of because I can't speak English and it's this foreign world. And it was kind of traumatic. That's why the, the first version of this was actually a one hour dramedy because my first recollections were just a little bit of trauma and sadness. Who recommends to you that instead of making this a one hour dramedy, you, you turn it into a comedy? That was Frank Ochoa at Sony, who's freaking brilliant. I think, by the way, we need more Latin A executives like him because he was able to really see the potential of the story. And it was really, really, really smart of him because 
there are so many funny moments. And then as soon as I kid around and I say, I have kid around saying like that I would have turned it into like a musical procedure or whatever he would have told me that could sell. But <laughs> I am Gordita. <laughs> Welcome to Miami. Um, yeah. But in reality, I always had wanted to write comedies. And, and one of the reasons I started kind of like expanding my range a little bit was because I wasn't having that much success with the comedies I was writing. I now see that that's in part because everything I wrote was about, you know, Latin A community, Latin A characters. And I think there weren't enough people, there are not enough Frank Ochoas in this world to recognize a comedy about with Latino characters that has potential. So when he said comedy, part of me was like, oh my God, are you kidding me? Yes, I would love to turn this into a comedy. But comedy is a lot harder than, than drama for many reasons. Thank God for Bridget Munoz Leibowitz because she's a freaking comedy goddess. So by the time that we sell this and HBO Max wants to make a pilot and they bring up, again, Frank Ochoa brings up her name. What do you think about having, you know, Bridget Munoz Leibowitz show running this? And I was like, oh my God, that's another brilliant idea. It's also the fact that you two are paired means it's the first show that has a head writer and showrunner that are both Latinas. Is that it? Did I get that right? Yeah. Creator and um, showrunner. I believe so. I mean, I've said that a couple of times and I keep daring people to fact check me because <laughs> the journalist in me is always like, Claudia, you better be careful. But um, <laughs> I believe we're maybe if not the first one of few or very few in the industry, because usually you'll have a person of color creator teamed up with someone who's not of color that has the experience because there's, you know, decades of, we have a lot of work to do um, to increase the representation. Um, you know, I don't have to tell you, Latinos are such a huge percentage of the U.S. population and the numbers between the population and what you see on TV and film is there's a huge gap still. What does it feel like to actually have this show up on there? It feels amazing. You know, with Cuckoo, I thought people that I grew up with were going to be like, oh, no, you, you weren't that plucky. You weren't that sassy. But what I've been hearing a lot is, oh, yeah, that's exactly you. Like, where did you find this girl? She's like your mini you. Like, she is just like you were growing up. So I'm just really happy not only that the show is out, but I'm ecstatic about how well it's being received. Uh, there's been a lot of people too, like a lot of gorditas are coming out of the closet, like posting photos of them <laughs> as gorditas. Like I took my mom to the premiere and my mom, I feel like, didn't really quite understand what this was going to be. And I kept trying to tell her. And uh, But you know, moms, like she would just call me and I had like a big meeting with an executive at HBO Max. I'm like, mom, I can't talk to you right now. And she's like, well, call me because I can't figure out the cable. And I'm like, okay, mommy, yes. But I took my mom to the premiere and that's when it finally started dawning on her what a big deal this was. She got to meet Zoe Saldana. And then she goes, Claudia, pero mira cuantas gorditas bonitas hay aquí. Um, she's like, oh, my God, look how many like chubby girls there are here. And I'm like, mom, be quiet. Like, not everybody likes to be identified as gordita. That's probably been the best part about the show coming out. It's just all the gorditas that have just felt seen. Because growing up, I always wanted to see, be seen myself. I think that's part of what drove me to be a TV reporter is because I never saw somebody that looked like me on TV. I wanted to like, by being a TV reporter, you know, just let people know, here I am. I have something to say. Listen to me. I'm worthy of being listened to and seen. 
I love it. Claudia, thank you so much for doing this. Thank you so much. Thank you, as always, for listening. Latina to Latina is executive produced and owned by Juleka Lantigua and me, Alicia Menendez. Polina Velasco is our producer. Manuela Bedoya is our marketing lead. Kojin Tashiro is our associate sound designer and mix this episode. We love hearing from you. It makes our day. Email us at hola at latinatolatina.com. Slide into our DMs on Instagram. Tweet us at latinatolatina. Check out our merchandise that is on our website, latinatolatina.com slash shop. And remember, please subscribe or follow us on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Good Pods, wherever you are listening right now. Every time you share this podcast, every time you share an episode, every time you leave a review, it helps us to grow as a community. A little update on our March 27th live recording of Latina to Latina. You did it. You sold out our early bird tickets. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. There is still time to grab your regular tickets while they last. Again, the details. We are partnering with our friends at Poderistas to bring you a conversation with New York Times bestselling author Sochil Gonzalez. It is happening at the William Vale in Brooklyn on March 27th. You can find the link to purchase tickets on our Instagram page at Latina to Latina or online at Alicia Menendez XO. I cannot wait to see you.